So this week I had uh, my my spring break, right? So I was at home, and uh, my dad had to go down to the uh, the Boy Scout Council office to drop off some patches and stuff. And as we were leaving, the uh, the cashier was like, "So, do you you know are you gonna buy anything or whatever today?" And and my dad was like, "No," but I was like, "Oh wait 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 wait, there's a table full of pajama pants that and I and I that are on clearance, and I need pajama pants. Like I'm I'm." The ones that I wear right now are just like really big and baggy, and the and the string that you use to tie them is like you know all frayed and stuff. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll buy one of those pajama pants. And so uh, I bought one, and now I have some pajama pants with the Boy Scout logo on them. And now I can say that I go to bed with the Boy Scouts. This is Apit, episode 110. I can't Roman numeral. On Sunday, March 15th, 2015. And now, you'd have to get paid for that. This episode is hosted by Ian Buck and Ian Decker with guest Andrew Bailey. So you sleep with the BS of America. Exactly. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's fun to rip on our employer a little bit, considering that we actually really enjoy them. Oh, yes. And I mean, I, I wouldn't have bought the pants if I if I wasn't okay with like representing the Boy Scouts in bed. Wait, no, that sounds worse. <laughs> well, I mean, our council's pretty chill about that sort of thing. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, what? <laughs> well. So yeah, that's pretty much uh, that's, that's everything that I did this week. That sounds yeah. pretty vague. It is. I mean, well, you know, I was on spring break, so I was home for a few days. I stayed up here in Morris for a few days, played some video games, went skiing with my sister because uh, her class was going to Afton Alps, which is a, a little ski, like, it's not a resort, it's it's a little, like, ski hill thing uh, mm-hmm. near the cities, and so I chaperoned for that field trip. That was fun. Don't you feel old now, chaperoning for field trips? No, dude, I have been chaperoning for my sister's field trips to, like, the zoo and stuff for years. Uh, really? Which is, yeah, yeah, like, um, let's see, this was this was right after the Avengers came out, so that was, what, two years ago or something? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, like, I, I had this unruly group of, of Subashri's friends, and they never wanted to, to go when we needed to go or follow me or anything, so... I named each of them after one of the Avengers, and whenever we needed to get going, I would just yell, Avengers assemble! And they would all, like, run to me, and we would go. <laughs> Prove that Buck will be best dad. <laughs> eh. I'll just be a professional chaperone. Or ch- ch- no, that's just called a chaperone, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> yep. I can well, language. Well, professional means you get paid, so... Exactly. I'm pretty sure that not all of them do. So a babysitter. Professional babysitter. Oh, yeah. Hmm. I guess you do call them that, don't you? <laughs> Weird. Oh, man. It's like that's a profession. So, long-time listeners uh, of our podcast will probably recognize the voice that they've been hearing that isn't one of the Ians. This is Andrew Bailey. Hi! Uh, you've, got, you've got another show on the Nexus uh, network. That's Control Structure. It's about, uh, what, programming and software yeah. development, stuff like that? Yeah, stuff like that. Um... So, and recently, because I realized that, you know, this is such a cinematic podcasting network, I updated my album art to be uh, mm. more orange and blue. <laughs> right, because uh, when you, well, what was it? It's not when you compress together frames from movies, but it was... It's when was... you, like, digitally enhance stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, like if you, this is going to ruin your uh, perspective of movies for a while, but everything is blue or orange. Yep. Wow, look at that. I'm wearing an orange shirt. Ian's wearing a blue shirt. You're wearing a blue shirt. This is like perfect um, for I the topic. I a jacket, yeah. Well, yeah. Are because, you cold? Well, I turned the furnace off since, you know, if it kicks on, like you're not going to be here, going to be able to hear anything. Actually, how, how warm is it over in the Pittsburgh area? Uh, it is currently 40 degrees. Okay. It's warmer here than over there. Yeah, that's kind of been the case all winter, actually. Hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know how far the 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 crazy winter storms that the East Coast was getting came inland, but... Uh, like... Not too much. I mean, we sort of got dumped on, like, in the past month or so. But mm-hmm. other than that, it's been a pretty calm, if not cold, uh, winter. Like, it's 63 degrees where I'm at right now. Yep. And I'm in Minnesota. That shouldn't be the case. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> One of these years, Minnesota's going to have to give up our reputation for having, like, abysmally cold and snowy winters and just hand that over to the East Coast. So... Well, I mean, they have abysmally snowy. That that I don't think I've ever contested, just because with well, the, the whole jet stream picking up all the, the moisture from the Great Lakes, it just dumps it on them. Well, speaking of uh, East Coast, uh, PAX happened, uh, PAX East happened recently, which I'm surprised they didn't get more snow dumped on them. Mm-hmm. Like I think I saw like a short clip of like people standing outside in lines and like their snow piles like ten feet high. <laughs> it's the fates. The fates. The fates have decided that Pax East must happen. So and I I remember uh, when I went to college. I went to college out in Utah. That uh, you know like you would plow all the snow into like one or two parking spots. Then someone with a monster truck would park on top of like an eight foot eight foot high snow pile. <laughs> Wow, I've never seen anything like that, but yeah, if yeah. I had a monster truck, might as well. Sometimes it's next to the door, or they get there late and every other spot is taken, so let's make a spot. There you go. I mean, if it works. Yep. Plus, then you don't have to be worried about anyone getting pissed at you for taking their spot. <laughs> Indeed. For taking up someone's room. So, so uh, hey, Buckface. Hey, uh, what's up? You were a part of that uh, Jonathan Colton comic Kickstarter, right? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, let's see, that was Code Monkey Saves the World. That yes. Was a, that was a pretty good series of, of comics. It was. So, And uh, it was, yeah, just this past week, I think, that uh, they released, like, that spinoff of The Princess Who Saved Herself. Mm-hmm. So... That's, yeah, I didn't know about that song until they mentioned that they were planning on making a children's book out of it. And, uh, and so then I went and got it and listened to it, and... Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the I enjoy the song. I haven't read the book yet, but it sounds like it just has the lyrics from the song and then illustrations to those. It's it along. roughly follows it. It's it's changed a little bit. Okay. So in in the fact that you know the uh, evil queen sends all of these things towards her. And, okay. And and I love the snake. How he's always wearing that uh, Russian hat all the time. <laughs> and playing uh, a flute, which uh, I can't imagine is easy for a snake to do. Or no, yeah. it was it was a recorder. Yeah. Mm, it it looked like a flute to me. Um. Yeah, and I, that's that's the last piece of of um, you know, stretch goals and whatnot that they uh, that they had to release for for that Kickstarter, right? I think so. So I I guess we can close the book on that one finally. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, because I got like all the uh the physical books like months and months ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's. It's a pretty quick read, you know? 
for the princess or yeah. the code monkey? For the princess. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it's meant to be a children's book, so of course. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Anyway, should we get started here? I suppose so. We've got some uh, feedback from, hey, look at that, Andrew. <laughs> hey, I'm here. What? Where? Where? So, you know, you can probably just read your own feedback since... Uh... <laughs> well, I suppose I could do that. Uh, so, yeah, crap, I keep missing the streams of your podcast. I must have been busy at all the wrong times. Well, funny you should say that. We're actually not planning on live streaming this show anymore because well, it's, it's a big well, hassle and people I'm, are annoying. I'm kind of in the stream right now. Yeah, so you just need to, like, consistently be a guest on the show and then you never have to worry about that ever again, right? Yeah. Plus, it'll have real-time updates and real-time feedback. <laughs> yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, you covered a lot of stuff in your uh, last podcast from GDC, which I also covered in my show. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I got kind of excited over the uh, the next-generation APIs. So, yeah, Trek. So. <laughs> Star Trek APIs. <laughs> well, there's only one of those, but, uh, you know, the uh, new low-latency at least proposed APIs anyway. So I'm really disappointed that uh, AMD did not release their uh, Mantle like SDK, I think it was. But uh, like now that you know an open standards coming, uh, you know I don't exactly blame them for uh, holding off on that. I I kind of thought that Mantle was already like available because wasn't wasn't one of the Battlefield games like the first game to ever ship with with Mantle? Yes, but that doesn't mean that you know peons like you and I could uh, program with it. Right, right. Because, like, I'm not exactly sure, uh, like, what uh, partners that AMD worked with, but I'm pretty sure that DICE was, like, most of it. Mm -hmm. So, and, uh, hey, you mentioned net gain in your last show, and while you were discussing something I wasn't exactly paying attention to, I started to investigate, and I dug up some really interesting, if not sort of disturbing news about the uh, about the Kickstarter. So uh, if you've been uh, listening to the show for a long time, you may remember uh, a guy by the name of John Gosling came on, and uh, both your show and mine. And we interviewed him about his uh, Kickstarter called NetGain Corporate Espionage. And it seems that, uh, I think it might have been a little bit more over a year ago, that his only programmer only other programmer on the project uh, left. And, uh, you know, he started, you know, to work, you know, pretty hard and, like, starting to refactor some of the code, but it pretty much got more and more buggy. And he's, you know, sort of, you know, had this sort of uh, episode of depression, and he started to lose sight of what uh, NetGame actually was supposed to be. Mm. Uh, but uh, he, fortunately, he dug himself out of that and uh, refocused his efforts and uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure uh, like how like how long the new estimate is going to be. Uh, but yeah, it's still being worked on. And uh, you know, he also mentioned some uh, contracts. You know, since you know this is not the only thing that he's working on, mm-hmm. so this is like sort of like a side project of his. Hmm. Yeah. Wow, that was almost exactly two years ago that uh, we had him on our shows. Yeah, because because the Kickstarter was in the month of March, 2013. In the lusty month of March. Though I'm 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 more than anything I'm glad to hear that he's okay. Yeah, because we hadn't heard from him really for a while, and yeah, and it's yeah, I know like, I had been wondering at least a little bit. 
Yeah, and uh, I think I might have told you like a, several months ago, I finally got an account on Desura and downloaded the thing. But uh, it's it's a very, how should I say, deep uh, game, just as it is. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, I didn't really have that much time to uh, uh, get further into it. I don't think that I've looked at any of the builds since very, very early on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think that they've exactly updated much since. I think it's still on like point five zero or something. Mm-hmm. And so, then, uh, so I have some actually kind of reverse feedback. This is something that you mentioned on on your podcast last episode, and and then I uh, responded to it when, after I listened to it. And uh, so, so you mentioned that you were playing Portal Two co-op, you know, on on local. Uh, on a, on a local machine, which usually right. to me would would mean yeah you're playing it split screen, but apparently Portal Two allows you to play with you know two people on two different screens on one machine, which is yeah. insane. So like how I set this up is like one hack on top of another hack. Uh, so uh, Chris, which is different from the other Chris that came on here, this is Chris from the uh, TED One episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's he's been coming over fairly regularly for the past couple of months, and like we've been like watching the Marvel movies at first, but uh, now we've been playing video games. Um, so uh, like we got into a uh, habit of you know he would use the mouse and keyboard uh, for Portal Two, and then he's like, well, we need to do co-op, so we need to like get an, get another controller here. Unfortunately, my ten-year-old uh, Logitech uh, gamepad somehow won't work with uh, Portal 2. It pretty huh. much won't work with any game ever released. It seems like uh, so I had to get a, uh, a 360 controller, a wired one, just to make things convenient. Uh, so you need to uh, like do some sort of console command to uh, like reroute like a single controller on your system to control player two. Uh, so, you know, once that works, it's like, oh, so now we can actually have co-op on, you know, single machine, uh, keyboard and mouse plus gamepad. Um, oh, but, I see. So, okay, uh, so so the first hack was to get it to accept keyboard and mouse plus a gamepad as two separate people. Exactly. Okay. Uh, so I suppose I could uh, uh, paste this these guides in here. And then the second one involves like, sort of expanding the uh, single monitor output onto two monitors. Uh, so, like, you need to download this other, uh, like, some sort of DirectX driver or something that will allow a game to, you know, create two frame buffers, you know, for two different screens. Mm-hmm. And then you need to, like, enter some configuration file to stretch the uh, existing uh, split screen over two screens. Oh, I see. Okay. So, and it really helps if you have uh, two monitors of, like, the same resolution. Yeah, that would get a little weird because it's not actually treating the two monitors as two monitors, right? It's just, like, creating one image and then stretching it across two. Exactly. Yeah. So, yes, somehow that works, and, uh, you know, once... You know, once I you know followed through with it, it was like, oh yay, this works, and it only took maybe about two or three hours for me to figure out. <laughs> so this is not for the faint of heart. Yeah. So um, at least not till you come up with a better solution. I mean, you're you're a programming guy. That's your job, right? Uh, well, I also know my way around uh, you know video cards and graphics stuff too. So. No. 
I mean, if we if we really want this to be like easy, then we should go to Valve with the idea and get them to work on it. But they, I think they have other priorities right now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they've uh, at least noticed this. So mm-hmm. I mean, like Half Life Three, this that needs to be a priority. Well, uh, that and this are uh, you know not not exactly uh, supported. So, but it's yeah. it's great that it's possible anyway. <laughs> So here we're about to start getting into the uh, this week's headlines. So you, listener, if you would like to go and see any of these articles that we talk about, go to thenexus.tv slash eb110. That's where the show notes reside. So first up is a, a game that is basically going to be my life once once they finish coming out with everything for it. Star Mine Citizen. too. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> I still have a life! Kind of, not really. Uh, aren't you sad? So, I, I have music. I don't have a life. I'm, I should stop kidding myself. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, so all week this week, Star Citizen is uh, allowing all everybody who, who has access to the game, to, um, um, to Arena Commander, to everybody has all of the playable ships for this week only. So we all get to go and test out each of the different ones. Um, I mean, obviously, the developers are doing this so that, you know, we can tell them about more issues with the ships and stuff like that. But for us, it's like, hey, I get to go and try out all these ships that I normally wouldn't be able to do and then, you know, get jealous of the ones that are way better than mine and uh, hopefully spend more money on them, right? So I haven't actually uh, fired up uh, Star Citizen this week, have you? Um, No, and this started just uh, yesterday, I think. So, uh, So, yeah, we haven't missed much time yet. Okay. So yeah, like uh, I I watch everything uh, that uh, you know the Star Citizen uh, you know the YouTube channel pretty much everything on there. Mm-hmm. So um, you know going on here uh, they uh, so uh, how should I say it? There's there's so many companies involved with uh, uh, with the development of Star Citizen, uh, even including the uh, fake companies within the game. Yeah. But uh, uh, Cloud Imperium Games, uh, you know, you know Chris Roberts and everyone in, involved with uh, Star Citizen, they all went to uh, PAX East uh, this weekend, or was it? I thought it, I think weekend? it was South by Southwest. Mm, no, this oh, was definitely right PAX East. Okay. Um, so you know they did a you know presentation there, and it did go off a lot better than the last time at PAX East. Uh, but uh, so they did a, you know, Chris did a presentation on, uh, you know, what's been happening, you know, what's been improved. Mm-hmm. So the one big thing that, uh, you know, they're actually calling it Star Citizen now instead of Arena Commander. Um, and on the uh, public test uh, server, I think it is, uh, they've released the new damage modeling. Uh, so like before, they essentially modeled you know 100 percent you know health of a ship, then 75, 50, and 25. The problem with that is is that it takes up a lot of memory. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess in a show, uh, in a minor bit of show off that oh we have like all this money that we can create a procedural uh, damage model, and uh, second, hey we need to reduce the memory uh, occupied by the ships. Uh, like they've actually created a uh, damage modeling where like you can actually shoot at a ship and like chunks of it fly off and you can see like the wires and stuff underneath of it and <laughs> after a while like a wing can just tear off and if you're really good you can teabag someone by shooting your name into their ship. 
Um, so then they also uh, showed off the uh, Retaliator ship, uh, which I believe will star pretty prominently in the uh, Squadron 42 single player. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh yeah, I watched this video. So are we gonna watch that now or? Um, no, I mean it, it doesn't have much in the way of audio. Actually, yeah, all, all it has is music. Yeah. Very very pretty ship. And pretty music too. Um, and uh, perhaps the uh, the best laugh I got out of this is that uh, so you know how Chris Chris Roberts' old company uh, Origin Systems got bought out by Electronic Arts back in the day. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, now in the game, uh, you have like uh, you know in-game currency. So uh, he revealed that the way you spend this is you go to a place called Electronic Access, oh, wow. uh, which uh, used to be a company that got bought out by Original Systems, but Electronic Access is now their digital storefront. <laughs> Does that sound familiar at all? Very. I also, I mean, don't they already have a, a company in there called Origin Jumpworks? Uh, I think so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's just the crazy amount of in-game stuff that's going on. And then, uh, uh, so, you know, the uh, first-person shooter module that's coming up, mm-hmm. uh, that is, you know, sort of like Arena Commander. That's just a simulator inside the game, technically. Uh, the FPS module will also be a simulator inside of the game. Uh, that's uh, released by I think it was like interdimensional software or something, okay. and and uh, like the simulator, like the box art is pretty much like Doom. Okay, <laughs> it's really uncanny resemblance. So it's supposed to be like id. Yeah. Yep. Got it. Yeah, so, you know, it they're they're having so much fun with this. It's amazing. <laughs> Always good to stick in some real world jokes. Yeah. For people to find. No, I mean, it, it sort of feels like we, we're sometimes at a bit of a disconnect from the real world, especially here in college anyway, so it's kind of nice to have someone who's actually in the real world yeah, a little and, more than we are. Yeah, you know, it's, it's nice to have fun within your games too, Yes, which is kind of the point. Yes, though speaking of real world, there's, there's a game that's out that has an interesting view on things that we don't necessarily get to see. It's called This War of Mine. Um, the game itself... Um, in, in the game itself, you play not as the people who are doing the fighting in the war, but rather a bunch of citizens who are trapped in a city that is getting sieged. So you have to worry about food, about medicine, about avoiding snipers and the enemy soldiers and whatnot, and it and apparently is a really good game in terms of feelsy stuff. And the people I, who... I can confirm that. <laughs> you can confirm that. Oh, boy. Um, but But here's the coolest thing. So the people that made it have a new DLC that they released. Um, but it's a little different from DLCs. So it, it introduces street art to the game that reflects on the human condition during times of war. And, and here's the coolest part. All proceeds go to War Child, a charity that helps children who suffer from conflicts and wars around the world. And so there's three different tiers, so you can give what you feel you can. Um, so those tiers are $1, $10, and $20, and no matter how much you give, they all include the same content. So it's much more about giving to help those in need as opposed to trying to make a profit out of it. And I really like that and really respect it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, pr- I'll probably be getting like the, the $10 level because I can't afford that. So yeah. the maker of uh, How Do You Do It is making another game that tackles the subject of young people developing their sexuality. 
And uh, this new one is called Seville. I think that's how you pronounce that, C-I-B-E-L-E. Um, it, take, it actually takes inspiration from a relationship that the creator formed while playing Final Fantasy Online back when she was, like, 18 or so. Um, and so parts of the game, some parts of the game involve, like, kind of playing, like, a stripped-down version of Final Fantasy Online and then hearing, like, um, hearing audio conversations between the, the, you know, people who are playing and the relationship that they're forming. And then also, like, a part of it involves, like, you, like, you basically kind of get supposedly what is on her computer, like all, you know, the, her whole file system and everything. You can browse around and see different stuff. Kind of sounds like, sort of sounds like Gone Home in, in that sense, you know, cause like, instead of, but instead of wandering around a physical space looking for, looking for stuff. You are wandering around in a file system looking for stuff. Um, it sounds very, very, like, deeply personal, and I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, that that's that's interesting point of art. I'm trying to remember. I don't think I... Actually, I might have written this down. Um, I'll find this in a second, because um, we were talking about what actually makes art. So there's certain criteria that the world or that people have set about mm-hmm. what makes art art. Um, and so I think that this this is a really interesting way of, well, obviously a really artful game and something that is really cool in the sense that it's starting to get more video games moving towards more artistic direction and ha- helping people see them as more of an art form as opposed to just entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, yeah, the it sounds really interesting. I'm how much does it cost? Uh, I I don't think that we have those kinds of details yet. I don't yet, think it, it's out yet, is it? Yeah, it comes out sometime in 2015. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm I'm on the website right now. Um, it just it has a YouTube, um, link in there, and that's really about it. And the so the quote that it says up at the top, right underneath Sabell, is I used to play this online game. I met a guy there. We fell in love and had sex. Then before I knew it, he was gone. So it it, it sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something that's not quite as heartfelt, but still cool. Um, EA, though everyone likes to rip on them, does do things right every now and then. So they've made all of Titanfall's DLCs free in celebration of its one-year anniversary. Woohoo! Woohoo! Yeah, unfortunately, I'd never really uh, got uh, Titanfall. Like, you know, did uh, so Buckface, you were the only one here that got it, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, so is anyone still playing it? Um, yeah, no, so Katie was the, the friend that I had that, that played, like, a ton of it when it came out, um, and she stopped playing it, I think, before this school year even started, you know, um, she's on to Evolve now, but, like, yeah, it's, it seems like that it, it had a really, really cool concept to, that you know, that, that would break through the multiplayer shooter mold. And, like, it was really exciting for a little while, but, like, for me, I don't really, I'm not really into multiplayer shooters in general, and its uniqueness wasn't enough to really keep me going past, like, 20 hours or whatever I put into it. Mm -hmm. So do we know if it's going to be free forever or just, like, free Uh, for the next week or month or so? Yeah, I didn't see anything about an end date, but um, I wouldn't put it past them to to make them, you know, bring them back up to whatever price they were before. So, although this is a pretty good strategy to get people back into it. Mm-hmm. So, it might be a good idea to get people back into it because apparently a sequel has been sort of 
maybe leaked or something. It hasn't been announced, but the uh, Vince Zampella, the uh, CEO of the sub-studio at EA that made Titanfall, has confirmed that Titanfall 2 is in development and will be released on multiple platforms. So I guess by that he means it will come to PlayStation 4 also? I think so, yeah. And it, so- it sounds like they are uh, not doing the last generation of consoles. Yeah, so if if I'm correct, you know, it only came out on Xbox 360, One, and PC, right? Correct. So, yeah, this, uh, you know... Uh, you know, if since they eliminate you know the last generation, but they're adding on PlayStation, that might increase their ecosystem a little bit. Yeah, give them give them more reach, but uh, without forcing them to make uh you know a lower a a version with you know lower resolution textures and less you know polygon counts and whatnot. I don't yeah. know exactly what they had to do for the Xbox 360 version, but it I I heard that it definitely was gimped though. Yeah, yeah. So, raise your hand if you like to play Cards Against Humanity. Me! I want to. I want to. You haven't played it? I've seen it, although, you know, I just don't have the cards, though. Oh, well, this is perfect for you, because uh, if you want to play Cards Against Humanity, but you, you know, forgot to bring your deck, or if you don't have one, or whatever, uh, you can uh, just play with with the people that you're with, you know, they don't even have to be in the same place, as long as everybody has an internet-connected device. So there's a, there's a website called Cards Against Originality, which is uh, a kind of fan-created project that includes all of the all of the cards from, you know, all of the, uh, you know, the base pack and the expansion packs and everything. It doesn't have any of, like, the unique cards, I think, that you could get from their holiday bullshit packages. Um, but, like, yeah, it's it's basically just the game um, in, like, in a website. And, uh, and you know, you just uh, get a shareable and link. And they can do this because the Cards Against Humanity is, like, Creative Commons, right? Yeah, as long as they're not charging money for for this project, you know, for people to access it, um, anybody can go and use, you know, the the anything about the game. And so um, long as like credit is given, blah blah blah. Yep, yep, yep. So, uh, does this include the uh, special box of bullshit? Uh, <laughs> I think I know which one you're talking about. The one that was actual like cow poop. Yes. Yeah, I'm guessing <laughs> it does not. <laughs> I mean, they could find a way to transmit that through the computer into your house, wherever you live. Then I, I think they might have a bigger, um, bigger thing on their hands other than just playing Cards Against Humanity online. I mean, you could just like kind of show a, a poop smear on, you know, on the screen for for whoever uh, throws a cow poop at another person. I don't know. <laughs> Pretty entertaining. Ah. Uh. So but I was talking about like transmitting like actual physical material um, mass through the internet. We need to invent the smellovision already. No, no we're that still something so bad. We're we're still working on all of that. Stand by. <laughs> I'm, oh god, I'm remembering back to an episode of The Big Bang Theory now, where someone made a kissing thing. Oh no. And you could kiss into it, and then the person on the other end would it, it would mimic whatever they were doing as well. So it was for long-distance couples. I can't think of any any possible drawbacks to this system. No, none at all. Yeah, that was interesting. Also, if you guys would like, I found um, my sheet that talks about art and the different criteria that it has. 
that oh, okay. the world has essentially um, made for art. So it has to have form of some sort, and lack of form is also a possibility in that as well. But it has to have some sort of form. It has to be able to receive criticism, um, whether that be positive or negative, but it has to be in a position where it can receive criticism and be criticized. It has to be created with intent, so it has to be trying to get across some sort of message or some sort of feeling, some sort of emotion. Um, it can't just be like, oh, it's a jingle. That's art, right? <laughs> Um, what do you mean by a jingle? Like ba da ba ba ba. You don't think that that's uh, that that has an intention behind it to make the listener feel some sort of emotion? I suppose. Or buy something. But I, I still wouldn't necessarily call it art, though. I so what I, what I thought of when you when you said that was, um, have you seen the movie uh, uh, Forrest Gump? Yes. So do you remember when he like? So he gets some like mud smeared on on his face, and somebody offers him a T-shirt to uh to wipe it off with. And he wipes it and then gives it back to the person, and they open up the T-shirt and like um miraculously the mud has created the the pattern for the smiley face, you know? Oh yeah. So I guess I I would say that that was something that was in you know created unintentionally. So I guess that would yeah. not be art. That's a better example. Yeah. Um, it has to have a perceived value. It has to be able to be interpreted, as weird as that is. And then this is one that people are starting to have a debate about, about whether it um, it has to be human-created. Can art be machine-created hmm. with AIs? Or animal-created. Or animal-created, yeah. So maybe we should have um, a TED where we talk about what defines art and what certain things that we consider in video games, whether that be music or the, or like the visual style, yeah, dictates. Yeah, I definitely like that. Or, yeah, I mean, because... we don't even have to limit it to video games because uh, it's the extra dimension, you know, so it can yeah. be about whatever we want it to be about. Exactly. Yeah, and like everyone's going on all the time, are video games art? Like, well, yeah. Some of them are. Some of them are complete garbage, but some of them are. Well, I mean, there's definitely art that is complete garbage. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that. Definitely. <laughs> it has to be, you know, be able to receive criticism, positive or negative. There you go. Yep. So let's go I back. Mean, let's go back to talking about video games, should we? Sure. Sure. So even though video games are art, uh, and some art is garbage, uh, how about some garbage games like from uh, EA? <laughs> oh yes, our favorite uh, company there. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, uh, how many of you have played anything from Maxis, like SimCity, Sims? Nope. I don't think I have, actually. Really? So, uh, like, I remember, you know, like, pretty much, like, the first serious video game I had was SimCity 2000, and I played that to death, and may still be, like, the longest game I've ever played in terms of hours, mm-hmm. simply because that was the only game I had. Um, so, I. Uh, uh, EA bought Maxis back around like 1999 or something, and it's taken them this long to shut them down. So yeah, mm-hmm. EA has taken Maxis out behind the woodshed. It's gone. It's disbanded. Uh, uh, so they, yeah, they closed the. I think it was the main studio in Emeryville, California. So okay. so and this is uh, you know I don't consider this too surprising because you know as soon as you know, one of EA's sub-studios, like, releases a game that isn't exactly well-received, I guess, that uh, EA go ahead and closes the studio, like, without second thought. So, 
you know, who could have imagined that, uh, you know, like two years ago, releasing SimCity, a game that didn't work, uh, would cause this. <laughs> uh, so, like, I'm not exactly sure about uh, Sims 4, uh, but, uh, you know, like, I've heard people say that, you know, it wasn't exactly that great compared to the uh, previous one. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, this plus, uh, you know, uh, going back to uh, Chris Roberts's, you know, story and, you know, what he's doing in Star Citizen, that got me reflecting a little bit on this. And aside from people losing their jobs, which is definitely a bad thing, you know, you know, closing studios like this, I'd say, is actually a good thing for, you know, from the perspective of the health of the gaming industry. Uh, so, like, I made a blog post about this and... You know, I have essentially two scenarios, like two companies. Uh, one is a game, one is a company that, you know, releases a game or two and was really successful, and then a big publisher comes along and, you know, buys them. Uh, so, you know, they can, you know, continue to, you know, make their sequels and, like, actually make them better and of higher quality. But as soon as, like, one of these games doesn't perform as well, they get shut down. Uh, you know, this closure closure forces people out uh, where those people often land at, you know, the other parts of the big company or they go off and form another company. Uh, so, like, if they do that, then the owners of, you know, the company before uh, can go ahead and, you know, sell the ownership and provide funding, right? Mm-hmm. So, and due to the laws of ownership, they have to create something completely new. And then we can go with a scenario B, which is, you know, a company, you know, releases successful games and they continue to do so. They can remain independent, but at some point the quality just starts to go down and, you know, the series keeps on stretching on. You know, it's not exactly great anymore. It's just there and bland, I guess. Uh, So, you know, I've, you know, sort of identified, you know, large game companies themselves appear to be scenario B companies. And this is, you know, largely a result of, you know, game budgets spiraling out of control and they need to make something safe. So I think you may have discussed that before. I'm not sure. Well, so, yeah, the the thing about this is I don't think that every single company that stays independent falls into Scenario B um, because not all of them keep making sequels to the same, you know, to that game series. Exactly. Um, like, yeah, because... Um, you know, Double Fine is is one that I would that I would think of because they hardly ever do sequels to any of their stuff. Double yeah. Fine. And I don't think I posit that every you know game company is either one of these. Right. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of sounds like it because you're just like here's scenario B, A, here's scenario B. Um, and, plus, and, I, plus I didn't include companies that you know were founded, game didn't do too well, and the company like immediately disbanded. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah, you know, you know, again, aside from people losing their jobs, this, you know, recycles people and ideas, you know, back out into the open. So, you know, we get to have, you know, fresh and totally new things like Star Citizen. Woohoo. Or or yeah, things that are spiritual successors to other things that the creators no longer have uh ownership of. Exactly. Yeah. So, Star Wars, pretty pretty big, pretty important. Uh, and we we keep talking about the the standalone Star Wars movie that's coming out uh, at, towards the end of uh, 2016. We now know what the uh, title for that movie is going to be. It is called Rogue One, which makes me kind of think that maybe it's about Wedge Antilles, because I well because he was he was uh, Rogue Leader for 
quite a while. I don't know if that's exactly the same as being Rogue One. Um, but yeah, I hope so, because I like that character. <laughs> nah, he's okay. <laughs> Kinda. I like him partially because he's uh, the opposite of a red shirt, and partially because, uh, well, the way that he was portrayed in the Expanded Universe, the Legends, uh, you know, he seemed like a cool person. Yeah. Hey, that's not a video game. What isn't? Episode 7. That's no. episode 8. <laughs> Sorry. I Darn keep it. Roman numeral. <laughs> no, that is, yeah. Episode 8. Except that the, the one that I was just talking about is not episode 8. It's it's separate from the trilogy of, of movies about the overall Star Wars saga. This one This one's just about something else that's going on in the galaxy. Hence it being a standalone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then finally, I found out this week that Polygon has started a daily news podcast. So basically, it's just like they they take the top news stories from from that day, and they have like a, a ten minute just thing of um who is it? I think it's Dave Tack who who reads them all. And uh, so I don't feel so bad about the fact that uh, you know we're going to be stopping our our weekly news portion of of eight bit uh, in a couple of months. Yeah, leaving it to professionals. Exactly. I'm mm-hmm. I'm kind of conflicted about about the space this this podcast like the the thing that this podcast provides though because the people who are likely to listen to it are you know the the hardcore Polygon readers right you know the people who are really really interested in keeping up on everything but yeah. but why wouldn't those people just use Polygon's RSS feed and you know and see every single article go by in their reader. Because don't people don't use RSS feeds. They do if they're listening to that podcast. Because listening is easier than reading. So, yeah. True but, I, but, like, yeah. I mean, if, if you're listening to it to find some articles that you are interested in reading, like, that's the same thing as, as what the uh, an RSS feed would do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure that somebody will listen to it. Yeah, I really like their, uh, I think it was their friends list. That they had like last year or something. Yeah, yeah, they've had quite a few podcasts that have come and gone and and didn't stick around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh well. I hope that I blame us for that. We're taking away all their listeners. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, we wish. So let's talk about some uh, some reviews. Um, Yay! Since I had spring break this week, I actually managed to play a few video games and and finish some long ones that uh, that I had been working on for a while. So the first mm. one is Republic, and it's it's a game that I've been trying to get through since uh, I think like last September or so. Um, it's a stealth game, and you play you're playing as somebody who is kind of outside of the compound that you see everything in, uh, but you have access to the security system, so the only way that you can see anything in the game is through the security cameras that are that are in this compound. And you're trying to guide uh, a girl named Hope out of, out of here, you know, you're trying to help her to escape and stuff. Um, so you can see where she is, where all of the guards are and stuff, you know, through these security cameras and you kind of figure out what their, you know, what their patrol patterns are and stuff and um, and tell her where to go. But you don't have, like, direct control over her. You can just kind of tell her where you want her to hide, and then she'll find her way to it. Um, early I'm, on I'm in the game... I'm impressed with the, 
visuals for it, just looking at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, are, do you know if you're looking at the uh, the PC version or one of the mobile versions? I was looking at the Android version. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it looks pretty good. Uh, it, I mean, I actually, for a mobile game, it looks amazing. Um, the only problem with that is that, uh, you know, if you're playing on uh, a tiny little phone, it will, A, strain your eyes because you're trying to, you know, pick out all the details on this thing that's on a 5-inch screen, and B, it will eat up your battery really, really fast. <laughs> so if you're going to be playing it on a mobile device, I would definitely suggest playing it on a tablet over a phone if you have that. Um, but also, now there's a PC version out, so if you have the choice of playing it on PC, I would recommend it on there over the mobile uh, platforms. Partially partially because um, it'll look better. You know, it's in Unity 5 instead of Unity 4, uh, which is what the mobile versions are in. But also... Um, the format of the game just kind of makes more sense on PC because mm. it's it's a it's a long form um, game you know like it, it takes several hours to get through each of the episodes and uh, and so like that that's the reason that it took me so long because when I the only time that I would really play it is if I was out and about and I had nothing better to do but it's really hard when you're in that situation to kind of justify like all right, I'm going to sit down and take like 40 minutes to just, you know, get through a portion of this game. Because um, you, you also can't just like save whenever you want to. It, uh, you just you you save sort of at checkpoints, except that it's not always clear when the game is going to save. Um, yeah, so you probably want to play it on PC. Um, oh, also because it's an enormous game. Like by enormous, I mean uh, it, it's taking up like two and a half gigs on my tablet right now. And when it's oh, wow. When it's a 16 gig tablet, like that is a, a an enormous amount. Yeah. Um, it also it has a lot to say uh, about things like censorship and surveillance and like political extremes. So especially like fascism, um, it has a lot of commentary on those subjects, and it's it it does that really really well. I think it. I'm not entirely sure that the like the premise, the story of the 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 game makes sense. Because like this this compound this this community is like sort of an underground thing led by a, a guy named the overseer and he has a lot of like yeah extreme political ideas and they've got all these kids down there that they're like I guess trying to raise in this like what they think of as like a perfect society um and okay. and I guess if anybody gets any funny ideas then they get recalibrated um and I'm yeah but like. All of so like all of the you know security guards, all of the people who are in this, who are living in this community, have been like recruited from all over the world, and it seems like most of them don't really subscribe to the ideals of this this you know the that the overseer has, and mm. it doesn't really make sense to me that like the governments in the world of the world would allow this kind of thing to exist, and but you know it but. Once you get past that, like the game is is really really good and has a lot to say. Um, uh, like I, I mentioned, it's it's episodic. Three out of the five episodes are out so far, and uh, I do think that it it is worth you know the pretty standard five dollars an episode that we're used to for for this type of thing. Um, so yeah, I would I would definitely pay you know twenty five dollars for the whole game. Um, let's see. Um, oh right, game cartridges. So not only does this game have a lot to say about like political things, but 
it also has a lot to say about video games. Because uh, there's a character whose name is Cooper, and he's helping you out to try to, you know, help help Hope escape. Um, he's actually one of the people who works in this compound. And he's really enthusiastic about video games. And he, uh, so he has a bunch of, like, game cartridges, but uh, those are technically contraband. And so when, when the other people, the, the other security people in the, in the compound found out that he has all of these, they stole them from him. And so you can go and pickpocket the security guards as you're wandering around in the in the in the compound and if you go into Hope's inventory and select the game cartridge that you just stole from them then Cooper will like have something to say about each of those games and even though they're like they're game cartridges they're pretty much a, they're, they're a bunch of other mobile games uh, so Cooper will have something to say about each of them and then it'll also have like a link to uh to the Play Store a, you know, page for that game, um, which is pretty cool. In-game you know, advertising. It, yeah, except that I'm sure that the there was no money exchanging hands. You know, it's it seems more like it's just the developers like kind of giving shout-outs to to other people who they you know whose work they respect. Yeah, kind of thing. Um, I can get behind that. Yeah. It also or, I was. Really would that be pl- product placement? Yeah. Product placement is more of an evil term. Kind of. I mean, yeah. Bit of both. The other thing that I was really surprised to find is that this game actually has like a full developer commentary, um, where there's there's like this this room. So when you find when you go into like the archives, um, you can find a thing that will like make all of these these developer commentary things pop up on the walls in certain in you know in a, like throughout the game. And when you tap on those and you click on those, then you'll hear, you know, whatever they have to say about that section of the game. Um, and so I think I went and found that uh, a lot earlier than I was supposed to. And so mm-hmm. then I had to start ignoring all of these developer commentaries because it was really, like, distracting to listen to those while playing through the game for the first time. So now I'm going <laughs> to go back through it and play through the, you know, the whole thing again and listen to the commentary tracks. <laughs> Do it up. Yep. So it has replayability value. It does. Somewhat. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's, you know, there, there's of course like achievements for uh, looking through each and every single security camera in the compound. You know, th- um, finding all of the, you know, tapes. You know, different different collectibles, stuff like that. Um, so if you're if you really want to get into like completionist mode, it it'll take you, you know, a good long time. Yeah. I don't much care for completionist modes. Though. Oh, I don't know. It, it it's good for you know people like uh, when we were kids and we only had like three games to play and it was like okay I'm just gonna play you know SimCity 2000 until I've done everything that's possible in the game you know kind of thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's pretty hard to tell when uh, that's happened. Yeah. Yeah. Although much easier in a game like this. Although it's pretty satisfying when you get all the arcologies to launch off. Arcologies? Yeah. I'll tell you about it later. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. In the meantime, why don't you tell about us about the the game that you played this week that you finished? The game that I played. Uh, actually, I finished this quite a long time ago. Well, by quite a long time ago, I mean like a month ago. But uh, it's it's Enslaved Odyssey to the West. Uh, this game came out maybe four and a half years ago. Uh, but it was like all on consoles and stuff. And uh, like I remember like seeing a little bit of the reviews. And they were saying that the uh, story and the characters in this game were pretty good. Um, 
So I'm like, well, I might buy that if I if it ever came out on PC. Uh, well, like last summer it did, so I had to follow through on that threat and actually buy it. So uh, what this is, uh, Decker, I'm not sure if you've, uh, since you're sort of like a classics major, if you've ever read the uh, Chinese novel Journey to the West. I have not. Classics majors usually focus on um, ancient Greece and ancient Rome, but I... Okay. Well, this uh, this game is... I, I wouldn't want to quite say it's based off of that book, but it stole a lot of the ideas from that book. Uh, so, you know, as the title suggests, there is some trip going west uh, over the course of this game. So instead of being set in ancient China and, uh, like, uh, having this monk, you know, be escorted to, you know, whatever destination he's going to, uh, instead, a teenage girl uh, has... Uh, enslaved this really muscular dude to escort her to her uh, home like like 300 miles away or something. And it is set 200 years in the future and quite a long time after a robot apocalypse. So this is, you know, sort of a different kind of apocalypse than, we, uh, than uh, like a lot of people are used to. You know, pretty much everyone has been through the zombie apocalypse in who knows how many games. Uh, you know, Too it's many. not... A, yeah, there's not an asteroid impact or disease outbreak or even a nuclear holocaust uh, or even dis- disintegration of the world. <laughs> uh, so the uh, the design. Oh, that was a Bastion reference, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a moment to think, like, when have we ever disintegrated the world? Kid forgets where he is for a while. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, the uh, the designers really took. Uh, you know, quite, you know, a lot of liberties with this in that this is probably the most colorful post-apocalypse you'll ever see. Hmm. So, you know, you know, it's, it's not all washed out. It's not gray. You know, the sky is very blue and then, you know, you got rust, rusty things everywhere. And then you have overgrowth. So, you know, got your red and your green there. So you got, you know, pretty much the three primary colors. Uh, so the, uh, gameplay, uh, believe it's like officially advertised as an action adventure game, but you know, pretty much every game could be classified like that, right? I suppose, unless it's like, you know, just a high score arcade game or something. Or if, if it's like Journey or something. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's more of a platformer, like a 3D platformer type game, uh, sort of like Prince of Persia or maybe a little bit of, of Assassin's Creed type. Uh, right. of gameplay. Uh, so, yeah, you're jumping around on ledges and stuff, but, like, the game itself, and I'm not using this as some sort of, like, a like a racial epithet or anything. This game is linear. Uh, so there's there, there are a few branching uh, paths, and, you know, you get extra loot if you do that. And uh, you know, there's pretty much, you know, only one obvious way forward. So, I mean, take that as you will. You know, either you, you know, want you know to experiment or you either just want to sit down and be entertained this is more of a ladder type of game mm-hmm. i found out and uh you know i played it through on medium difficulty and it was okay there were like maybe two or three points where it got really annoying uh but you know there are like special moves that you can do when you get into combat with robots and, like, pretty much all you need to do is just to wail the tar out of them using your main attack. Uh, but, so, uh, you know, there are places where, like, there's turrets. 
and you need to, you know, like, you know, hide and seek your way across, you know, some landscape behind barriers. You know, this, some of the environments look like they're, you know, designed for, you know, like chest high walls, you know, you know, one of those cover shooter type things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's not really a whole lot of shooting going on, you know, granted uh, monkey, which is the uh, protagonist that you play the enslaved dude. Uh, he does have a staff which can like fire missiles and stuff, but you know that's like more more or less for you know like every so often emergencies. So he is very much so Sun Wukong. Yes, and he has a uh, device called a cloud, and it's essentially like a surfboard. Uh, it tends to activate near water. So um, why do they call it the cloud? Because that's what they called it in the book. Okay. So. Uh, well, I mean, if you if you know anything about Chinese mythology, Sun Wukong is the monkey king. He was known as sort of like a trickster god, um, who was immortal, and he ran around. Well, not ran around. He traveled by being on this cloud, zipping him from point A to point B, and carried this big long staff that he would um, be able to fight with, or even just dodge around with. Not necessarily always just fight. Right. So. Uh, even though you are technically escorting an NBC, NPC throughout this entire game, it's not annoying to do so. Um, so in some in some levels, she is completely absent. Like she's like holed up in a box somewhere or like some other way out of danger. Uh, other times, you sort of have to guide her across the battlefield. And uh, at some points, like she's even useful. Like she can flip levers. So like there's a few puzzles you come across where you sort of have to like have two people do it. Ah, okay. So and you know again the pacing is generally good. So you know you'll have a stretch of combat and then you'll have a stretch of puzzles or you know like rock climbing or something. So you know it's not all one or the other. Um so and it's how should I say the characters are good, but the character development is somewhat lacking uh, because at sometimes uh, like monkey, he describes himself as like some sort of a feral wild man. And you really see that like in the first, I don't know, 30 minutes of the game, but by the fourth chapter, he's really mellowed out. Um, and, you know, at some points uh trip, which is the girl you're escorting, uh, you know, she can be like really badass at times, but like other times, like you throw her up on ledges, and you know sometimes she can you know manage that. But other times, when you throw her across a gap, you'll have to get over there within five seconds and press E, otherwise she falls and she dies. And thanks to the headband, you die too. Oh, beautiful. So, um, and I have a uh, YouTube link here, which is pretty much my favorite moment of the game. Uh, uh, Later on, like maybe about halfway or maybe two-thirds of the way through, another character comes in, and he is such a pig. Like, like literally. Yeah, you don't really notice it at first, but then you realize that, you know, he does really look like a pig, aside from just being obese. Uh, Like, uh, they give him a a snout and everything. Yes, yes, and like a flappy middle ear. Um, yeah, and, uh, so, you know, this is set in a robot apocalypse. This is set in, you initially play around in New York City, and then you just go west from there, ending up in probably Death Valley or something. 
Um, so you, uh, with that said, a, maybe about a third of the game is you wandering around New York City trying to fight your way through like maybe six or seven blocks of a destroyed New York City. Hmm. So like don't let don't let that get you down too much. So um, overall, uh, I'd say overall I'd say this game is worth maybe about fifteen dollars, which I think that's what the it's going for on Steam. Okay. So and uh, there is also the DLC that comes along with this. It's called uh, I think it's like Pigsy's Perfect Ten or something. I'm not sure what's so perfect about it, and I'm not sure what ten things there are. Uh, but it's pretty good. It's a really different style of gameplay since, you know, Monkey is a very melee-oriented uh, character. Uh, Pigsy is more of a stealth-type character, even though he's, like, really fat. Hmm. So, so yeah. And then, like, along my other point of, you know, you're fighting your way across America, the people are pretty much the same. Uh, you know, there's the big fat guy, which apparently after an apocalypse... Fat guys are still around. We find a way. <laughs> yep, true that. So, anything else? How much would you pay for the game? How much do you, you think it's... You said 15. Yeah, oh, 15. 15. about 15 or Sorry. so. I think it might actually be 19.99, and, you know, that's sort of pushing it, but, you know, depending on whether you really like uh, platforming or not. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, you know, it's... Like, the end of the game uh, fairly well wraps up, you know, the whole story. Uh, like, even though the last line of dialogue is essentially a question. Oh, great. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it pretty much wraps it all up. Cool. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, like I said there, I put my uh, favorite cutscene in there. Um, you, know, al- you know, along with the character development and the writing, you know, most games, the strong guy is dumb. Like, have you ever noticed that? Tank Shepard? Soldier, answer me! <laughs> so, uh, you know, Monkey, you know, even though, you know, he's the strong guy, he still has plenty of character in him. Uh, and, you know, even towards the end, he, uh, you know, how should I say it? He alludes to a fact that, you know, completely makes me lose empathy with him. So, you know, that's, you know, doesn't exactly happen all the time. Hmm. So, you know, he, you know, it, the game makes him feel like, you know, it's like, oh, this guy, you know, he's stuck because, you know, some other chick took advantage of him and, like, he has to follow her around now. But, you know, he has other thoughts about that, let's just say. Okay. Hmm. Now I'm intrigued and now I have to go play. You buy it, I'll play it. That's how SteamShare works, right? You know, I'm not sure if I actually already own it or not. I don't know. I'll check later. In the meantime... I've been playing Trivia Crack. <laughs> oh my god. I can't believe that it took me this long to like get around to playing it because basically everybody that I know already plays it. And uh, yeah, like pretty much the guys at my office play this all the time. Yeah. Or at least, or at least they did for a while. So I'm I'm addicted as hell, especially because I'm pretty good at trivia games. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm I'm not sure so the part of what I w- went into this like asking myself is what did Trivia Crack do? that other, you know, trivia games didn't do in order for it to succeed above them. Because it, it already, it, it clearly has, like, a critical mass that, that no other trivia game does. And I can't, I can't see anything in there that is, you know, exactly 
way way better than anything else. It it just kind of it just kind of works. I mean, I guess it's it's colorful and you know um it it you know it's happy like you know even even when you're not doing too well, all of the characters are there smiling at you and it's you know it's got happy noises that come out of the game. So I, mean, I guess I go ahead. I was gonna say it's probably because it's fairly marketable, especially because. Um, it's a game where it's a, it's a competitive trivia game, which you can do easily on a phone on a mobile device um, while playing multiple games at once with friends. So you're you're sort of always have questions going on instead of waiting for other people to take their turns. You're always going through and answering the trivia stuff. Right, but I mean, I I swear there there've got to be other trivia games that like do those things, right? I don't know. I've... I don't think so. I mean, the closest thing is your favorite. Star Wars Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> right, but that's a board game. Like, yeah. you know, th- there are there are other trivia games on mobile devices. I've never checked any of them out because I don't know anybody that plays them, you know? Yeah, and I mean, that might also be it, too, is because it's gained some popularity that people know that they can do it and they'll have a lot of other people who they can also play with. Yeah, and so, but what I was asking is, what got it to this point? How did it get this critical mass, you know? I, I don't know. Um... I can't answer that question, but what I can tell you is that I feel like this game is worth getting like the ad-free version if you're going to be playing a whole lot of it because I think I think that was like 350 or 4 dollars or something like that, you know, and and uh and then you never ever have to worry about being interrupted in the middle of a of a game. Um mm. Unfortunately, they also have decided to monetize it by selling you, like, um, you know, these power-ups and stuff. Um, so, like, if you... Microtransactions. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, like, you can either skip, like, the current question to another question in the same category, or, um, you know, do, like, a uh, give me a 50-50 shot, you know, eliminate two of the wrong question or wrong answers. Um extra time, stuff like that. Um, you can only use one of those per, you know, per time. Um, so it's not like you can just keep, like, skipping question and question and question until you get one that you actually know the answer to. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not game-breaking. Um, yeah. But, I, yeah, I, I do... I do find it rather unfortunate that they're trying to monetize it in multiple ways. Like, I would rather them just either do advertisements or, you know, or let you know buy a, an ad free version and then not do any of that you know buying power up stuff um but i i don't think that i think that most people don't buy the power ups at all you know they just kind of play the game and and rely on their own skill yeah well that's that's more friendly and then you also got um sort of the <laughs> the ask the audience feature where i know that i've i've helped my roommates play well my roommate played this against his girlfriend on several mm-hmm. occasions um where he, all of us will just be sitting around and having a conversation, and then there will be a lull in the, con- the, the conversation. Or, like, we'll all walk into the room, and he'll be playing trivia crack, and we'll just walk over and start looking at the screen and get all three of our brains going together to try and figure some of this stuff out. I, I refuse everybody's help when I'm playing the game, because I just I don't think it's fair, you know? <laughs> well, refuse or not, if it's all there, and if I can read it, you're getting it. So, too bad, so sad. Well, I'm hiding my screen from you, then. Um, I'll find mirrors. Maybe, maybe one thing that the game does that is unique um, is that the questions are user created, uh, and then, and then I, I actually haven't found any that are like really obviously wrong yet. Um, because, and 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 you know, you, if you find one that's wrong, like you can report the question, 
and then yeah. they they also have like a rating system. So if you if you really like a question, then you can rate it up. If you hate a question, you know that that's like stupid. You know you can rate it down. Um, yeah. The users who created these questions do seem like obsessed with Stephen King books, though. That comes up a lot. And I I only really noticed it because, um, I don't know, I made a reference to, like, to Children of the Corn the other day, and, uh, and the, the person I was with didn't, you know, didn't know that that was a Stephen King book, and I was like, oh yeah, you know, if, if there's, if there's, like, a, a book that's been adapted into a creepy movie, chances are it's a Stephen King. And, and then I noticed, like, while I was playing Trivia Crack, that most of the times that it was like, who wrote this book that, you know, in which blah, 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 blah happens, it was almost always Stephen King. So now I know when I start playing. <laughs> exactly. If I find a creepy thing, creepy question, the answer <laughs> is Stephen King, unless it's Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. So, you... how, so how much do you think this game is worth? I mean... I definitely think that getting getting the ad free version is worth it. You know, worth the three or four dollars that it was. And uh, I mean, if if you absolutely don't have that much cash, then you can always just play the the version with advertisements. Like either either one will do you fine. Um, but I definitely don't think that the game is worth like going and spending money on the power ups. Definitely not. That's fair. Um, the other game that I tried out this week is called Crossy Road. And uh, I became interested in this game when I read um, a feature on Polygon about how the the people who made this game, like, their goal was to make a free-to-play game that didn't get in the way of players enjoying the game. You know, it didn't have any, like, you have to wait 10 hours to build this thing, or you can pay us some money to do it right now, you know. Um, you know, it, it doesn't interrupt you with advertisements, uh, stuff like that. You know, it, it doesn't get in your face about like spending money to unlock new characters or whatever. Um, and uh, so, so I decided to go and check it out, and I thought it was all right. It's a, it's a pretty fun game, but like, I guess I don't really think that uh, a modern version of Frogger is like what I'm really looking for in a game. Uh, so I'm not really playing it anymore, but. I, I'm pretty impressed with with the way that they you know made this game and and you know like they do do all of the things that they say that they do in the feature you know they they um, you only see advertisements if you actively go and click on the button you know to like earn some more in-game money by by watching advertisements um, the you absolutely the only thing they use the in-game money for is to unlock new characters the characters don't do anything for you in the game it's just a skin you know, and uh, they have most of most of the characters, I think that there's one character that you can only unlock by spending money, and so that's kind of their version of, like, um, of buying a premium version of the game, I suppose, is, is unlocking the piggy bank character. I didn't do that because I didn't really feel like it. Um, but, you know, they, they obviously tried to make this game really cutesy so that it has mass appeal, so, you know, which is kind of a, a must for, for free-to-play games. Um, the one thing that I was kind of annoyed with was every, every few hours the game gives you, like, a gift of, of however much extra in-game money, right? Mm-hmm. And which is nice, except that it gives you a notification on your phone that you have this gift waiting for you. And there wasn't a way to turn off that notification except for, like, I guess after after it notifies you so many times, then it will pop up with a thing saying, like, don't notify me. 
So yeah, nice. yeah, that that was kind of annoying. I mean, I obviously could have gone into the Android system, you know, settings and tell Android, don't show me notifications from this app. But most people don't know about that. <laughs> that area of the settings. So um, I was a little disappointed that they, that, yeah, that they had these intrusive notifications. Um, but other than that, like, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a pretty fun game, you know. Um, just try and get a high score. I wasn't that interested in, in, in getting high scores, though. If I want to get high scores, <laughs> I'll go and play, like, Duet or Super Hexagon. Or Audio Surf. Exactly, yeah. I was, I was mostly thinking of other games on my phone, but yes. Oh, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. So that's Crossy Road. Uh, how much w- would you think this game is worth? I. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta do that. It's 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 worth. No, it's not really worth checking out. I mean, yeah, I don't think it's worth playing. <laughs> okay. If if it sounds interesting to you, like go ahead and check it out. It's worth your time, but um, yeah, I mean, don't go spending money on it. There's no reason to. <laughs> Fair enough. So thanks for listening to 8-Bit, everybody. Um, what are our plans for, for this week? What kinds of games are we going to talk about next week? I think I'll probably try to play through the first episode of Life is Strange, finally. Um, and then I'll also just be playing a bunch more Hearthstone because I need to save up gold for the uh, expansion that's coming up. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to be busy with schoolwork, probably. So we'll, we'll see if there's a game that really catches my eye. Mm-hmm. Oh, and of course, Star Citizen. Duh, I'm gonna be playing that. Yeah, I'll Got probably be looking into that. Uh, mm-hmm. Most, mostly, uh, you know, my days are filled up with the "Let's go to work and make money" game. Yeah, that's my favorite game. Well, how much? How much money is that one worth? Uh, enough to live off of, and plenty more. <laughs> well, I, I guess my game is "Let's go to school and pay money" game. <laughs> <laughs> you go to let's go to work and make money. I'm still at the let's go to school and pay money. Um, this is uh, the, beginner, the beginner level. So uh, so aside from that and Star Citizen, like I really want to get amped up, uh, you know, to play Star Citizen. So I want to play like other space games. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm sort of stuck on uh, X Beyond the Frontier, which is like the first game of that series. It's from like 20 years ago, so everything is poop smeared origami. Yeah. Uh, and the controls aren't that great, but, uh, you know, I, I think I'm making some headway in that. Uh, so since I'm probably not going to be on this uh, show for a while, like probably the next big new game I'll be playing would be the Witcher three. And then, and then after that, will probably be, uh, Starcraft two legacy of the void. Um, I heard rumors that, uh, like they're going to be sending out beta keys for that pretty soon. Uh, so, you know, it'll probably be coming out within the next year or so. Mm. Crossing your fingers to get one of those beta keys? You know, not, the, not really. Okay. You know, I have plenty of other games to be playing, and, you know, StarCraft, you know, is awesome, but, you know, again, with the, uh, go to work and make money game, I have other, uh, uh, time obligations, unfortunately. Right, yes. So you're just using the beta keys as a, as a measurement for how soon it's likely to show up. Yes, uh, seems like other people are using that too. So, awesome. awesome. You know, pretty much whenever I started up and realized that there is a, I don't know, like a ten gigabyte patch for StarCraft Two. Oh, I know what happened. Oh, that's the other. That's the other piece of like pseudo news uh, for Star Citizen was people. You know, so, some somebody who works at. Uh, 
at Cloud Imperium mentioned on the forums, like, yeah, no, this isn't going to be like a 30 to 40 gig game. This is probably going to be a 100 gig game. And everybody was kind of freaking out about that. Yeah, you know, again, this is a high-end game. Why not max out your storage also? Mm -hmm. And, you know, backers like you and I, you know, that 100 gigs is not going to be all at once. That's going to be over several months. And hopefully, for for Star Citizen, again, like how final is final, you know? (laughs) So, yeah, good luck with that. So buy now so that you don't have to uh, spend a whole month downloading the, the game later, right? Yes, and uh, us rich people with uh, Fios and 500 gig SSDs, you know, <laughs> we will not be mourning anything. No. All right, so thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. This has been Ian Buck. I'm Ian Decker. And Andrew Bailey. Signing off. Have a good one. Studio number one, or is it zero zero one? We have oh. power tools over here. And so I tell the lady, "Hey, I, I don't do mounted, and I'm just going to." The, and she's like, "What?" And then she's all like, <laughs> oh, "Just take your mail and leave me alone, woman!" And then she got all angry and everything else. And I just, I don't know. That was a long time ago. Everything else. I hate my body. CC Matt Petrol. Hey, your intellectual property is on mine. Get off. It is a living creature, and people are like, he just dropped a cat on camera. It's not like I fed it to crocodiles. Do you have one? No. He did. And with great, great precision, he reaches to the other room and brings out the mechanical lure. (laughs) Yeah, what does the air or say, and why can't I hear you in the Microsoft? Oh, is this broken? Yeah, again. It works now. Crazy train, right? Yarp. Hi. Hi. I was still doing important stuff. I was pooping. My bowels are now cleaned. Well done. It's great.